Hey, happy Easter. And, and, and just a word for you, if you are still the strong and the proud that still have their Christmas lights up, come on, you're almost there. Just got a little bit going, got a little bit longer to go, you don't even have to take those suckers down, man, just keep it going. Nine more months, you're almost there, it's good, it's good. Well, hey, happy Easter. I do hope it is a happy Easter for you, whether this is your first time here or your first time in a long time, or if you're with us each week. Uh, for us, this is an exciting uh, weekend for us because we are celebrating the death and the resurrection of a 33-year-old Jewish carpenter that did about three years' worth of work in an area the size of Pawtucket. And that doesn't make any sense, does it? Honestly, and even if you think about it a little bit, not only have we doing it, been doing it this year, and if, you know, maybe the last few years, but we've actually been doing it for 2,000 years. And longer than any other empire that's ever lived in, uh, that's ever existed on the earth has, has been this thing called the church. And at the center of the church is not a book, it's not a set of documents, it's not a set of, uh, it's, not, it's not even a set of a person uh, in different ways. It's not, and it's not just the sole idea of, of a bunch of people that just thought of it in different ways, but it was the event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We get to know about the event through the Bible, we get to engage the event through each other in different communities, but we've been doing this for 2,000 years years. And we got to figure out why. But, but today, I don't want to talk about that. Weird, right? It's Easter Sunday, and the pastors don't want to talk about resurrection. Because here's the thing. The historians, they, they kind of shifted the conversation. They're no longer talking about whether or not it happened. They, they, they just kind of stopped talking about that. They actually shifted to describing how it happened. So, so kind of clear is the fact that Jesus lived in the years between zero and 35, and, and really kind of across the board, everyone, hey, yeah, yeah, there's something that happened around 33 in the springtime, that they kind of stopped talking about whether or not he resurrected, and they started talking about, okay, let's talk about how this happened. This is a big event. Let's figure out how it happened. And they began shifting that. So, so kind of that whole part of the history there is, is, is settled. But deep down in the event of the Christian faith is the singular event of the resurrection. And it literally changes everything. The foundation of the Christian faith is an event. And it changes everything. So today, I don't want to talk about whether or not it happened. I want to talk about what it means, the implications of the resurrection, because let's be honest, no one's done a party trick quite like this, have you? This is cool. This is crazy. It's, this is actually, like, if this actually happened, it changes everything. If a man claimed his own death, and then not only, because, I mean, I can do that, right? Hey, I'm going to die one day. De- death rate, 100%. Hate, hate to break the news to you this morning on Easter Sunday. But not only did he say he was going to die, but that he was going to resurrect. And that changes everything. And so the implications of the resurrection is really what I want to talk about. So for, for you this morning, perhaps you have a framework of faith. You, you were given a framework of faith maybe from a church that you went to growing up, maybe from grandma and talking, she was teaching you in different ways. 
Maybe it was from uh, hanging out at different friends' houses or hearing the phrase like God is good or God punishes or God is angry. But somehow along the way, you downloaded a framework for how faith is. And for many of you, uh, if, if you were like me, kind of growing up, the, the framework didn't survive the realities of adulthood. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you a new framework for what it's like to become a follower of Jesus. And today, guys, I want to, beca- I want to make a sound that's so clear that in the next 30 minutes, you'll know exactly where you stand when it comes to the Christian faith. I want this to be just excruciatingly clear that it is so clear that we understand that the love of God and how he feels for us, exemplified in the sending of his son, dying on a cross and then having him resurrect, causing deep, deep joy and celebration. And so if you'd allow me over the next 25 minutes, we're gonna journey through that together. And uh, it's, it's, it's this very simple idea that the reason why the resurrection of Jesus matters is because of two words, substitutionary atonement. Everyone's like, that is not simple at all, at all, at all. Substitutionary atonement is a very simple idea. Breaking down real quick, atonement means payment. It means payment. And so you would have to go atone for a rule that you broke, Perhaps if you were driving through Providence over the last four weeks, you got a nice speeding ticket from a camera. I don't know. I'm just saying. All of our Rhode Islanders are like, yeah, me. Atonement is you have to go pay for the rules of which you broke, that God had this plan, and, and, and we broke his rules. And there was an atonement that something or someone needed to pay on our behalf. And that is us. We needed to, the Bible says that all of the wages of of this type of sin is death. And substitutionary means exactly what it means, substitute. And so maybe some of you need to atone for how you treated your substitute teacher. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Everyone's like, that's a weird topic on an Easter Sunday, but I'll laugh. Substitutionary, to bring those two words together, and you have exactly what the bedrock of the resurrection means for us that someone took our place, died the death that we should have died, but defeated death. And if that victory is true, that changes everything. But for some religions, um, this whole substitutionary atonement plan is not something they subscribe to. They subscribe to the self-atonement plan. They subscribe to the self-atonement plan. So if you know, we don't really have a religion, the whole idea of self-atoning for the ways that the world is off and broken is to become a better person and to strive to become the best person that we can be. And it's tiring, isn't it? It's tiring. But for other religions, it could be making a pilgrimage. And making the pilgrimage leads us to uh, all sorts of new life. But if you don't make it, then there's a whole lot of things that are off. For, for other religions, it could be kind of paying penance or lighting some sort of a candle and trying to extract uh, the grace that, that God might be giving us if we do the, the different sacraments that we engage in. For, for some, it could be um, living a type of life and then somehow becoming another life form and paying for the sins that you create, that you paid, that you started in some other life. Because 
the separating idea of Christianity from every other major religion in the world is this one idea, that someone else died and paid for the sins that we committed. Every other one says you have to. The God stays up in the, up in the heavens and they get really angry and they really do pay a punishment to you if you don't do good enough. But Christianity is set apart in saying this, that God didn't stay there, he came down. And he lived a perfect life and he died the death we should have died and resurrected so that we could have new life and became our substitutionary atonement. But if you were to go into Pawtucket today or if you go down to Providence and you ask someone what Christianity was, they would say things like, well, if you try a little harder and fly a little straighter and do a little bit better, then you know, maybe I'll, everything will work out all right. But Christianity is really about picking the right atonement plan. You're either trusting in, the, in God's substitutionary atonement through Jesus Christ, or you are self-atoning. You are deciding to self-atone. And gang, the, the Bible is absolutely pleading with you through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus to not pick the self-atoning plan. And so today, over the next 20 minutes and 53 seconds, I'm going to preach the entire Bible to you. I bet you've never done that before, gone to, gone to church on Easter. I was like, I just needed three verses, and then I'm good. But the Bible is clear, and, he's, and, and God is pleading with you. Many times we see this picture of God that he's just kind of absent, dismissed, doesn't really care what's going on. But he's just pleading with you that you would pick the right atonement plan and trust in him this morning. And so the Bible starts off with the story of Adam and Eve where, where, where God creates Adam and Eve in this perfect world of the, the Hebrew word for it, shalom, where everything is kind of as God intended it to be. There's balance and peace and wholeness and harmony, community. He creates this really, uh, he creates humans with inherent worth and value and he says, you are very good. You're very good. The Bible doesn't start off with a God that's angry because you broke the rules, but he starts off with a God who used to walk with us in the cool of the night. Saying, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Man, I love you. He starts off with this idea, but, but, but humans, they have this idea that God is holding out on us somehow and, 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 and that only we could create for ourselves what only he could. And so humans began to do some things that tried to position us as the Lord and the creator of the universe. And so we put ourselves on the throne of our hearts and saying we are actually our own gods. And, and 2,000 years, 5,000, 6,000, 10,000 years later, how's that working for us? And in enters sin and it breaks everything. And it really breaks God's heart as he's watching this thing take place. And at that moment, right at Genesis 3, he kills an animal and creates for Adam and Eve the first pair of clothes in order to cover their shame. Because with sin and brokenness, um, when we separate from a, a good and holy God that's perfect in his standard, it creates shame within us. It creates guilt within us. And he says, you know, I want to cover that shame. And he covers uh, Adam and Eve with the first death in the Bible. 
And so then a few chapters later, and the whole the nation of Israel, he, he calls to himself and it creates within him a holy people and says, these are my people. And at one moment, when they're stuck in slavery in Egypt, God says, you know what, I'm going to free you from this slavery. And he sends an angel of death in order to cast judgment upon the nation of Egypt where they were in slavery. But he says, if you were to uh, take some blood of a perfect lamb and you were to brush it over your, your doorpost, I'm going to sail over the door. I'm going to sail over the door and your life will be spared. A little bit later, they, as they celebrate this whole idea in the Day of Atonement, every, every uh, Jewish person at this time, and even today, they still celebrate this, this moment in their, in their religion. It was the day that they celebrated that God forgave them of all of their sins. And so what would happen is they would have two goats where they would, they would kill one as a sacrifice for sin, and they would take the other one, and they would, they would perform a ceremony where they would take it, the goat and say, I cast all of the sin onto this goat, and they would take this goat and they would send them into the wilderness. They would, it, it would be led into the wilderness where it would eventually die. And it was the symbol of that God was taking away your sin and it was being forgotten. All the ways that you broke the rules, all the ways that you jacked things up, all the ways that you were in places that you shouldn't have been and doing things you shouldn't have been doing, all the ways that you disrupted God's good plan for the world. He says, I'm going to cast it on this and I'm going to send it into the wilderness, being taken away forever. And this is God's way of saying that sin is serious and it has to be dealt with. Sin is absolutely serious. It has to be dealt with. And as we enter into the New Testament, Jesus is, is coming to get baptized and John the Baptist is standing there and he's saying, and he calls out this phrase, he says, blessed is the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. And so if you were sitting there at this moment, you're like, no, 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 there's only one person that can take away the sins of the world and it's God and it's when we celebrate on the day of atonement and they take away our sins into the wilderness and John the Baptist says, no, this man, this Messiah, is come to take away the sins of the world. Even Jesus, he says, he says to them, uh, at the Last Supper, this holy week that we're in, he breaks their, uh, he, he's sitting there at the Last Supper, breaks bread, says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And on the cross, he announces this one phrase. He says, it is finished. No more sacrifices needed. No more things taking place. No more do we have to engage this type of, of engagement. But in fact, we can have a close relationship with the God of the universe because of the work of Jesus Christ. Someone or something needed to die to atone for the sins once and for all. And so it sends the church into all of its glory. But at the end of the world, Revelate, the book of Revelation, it says that when we die, we're going to wake up and we're going to see God. We're going to see God. And he's not going to ask you, oh, how much did you sin? Or how much didn't you sin? How big or how bad? It's not going to be a moment where you're going to say, well, there's this really bad night in college, like I don't want to talk about. Or man, there's just, there's all these different, he's not going to say all these things, he's simply going to ask you one question. What atonement plan did you trust in? 
did you trust in my substitutionary atonement? Or did you trust in your own self-atonement? And when you look around at the kind of Western society today, there's a lot of self-atoning, even inside religion. It's a lot of self-atonement. When Jesus' invitation to you today is saying, that will not work. But if you trust in me and you rest in me and you live uh, the life that I have created you to live, you will find that it's the best way to live. And so here we have this idea, this understanding that when we wake up, we see God, he's going to ask us that question. And if we have not trusted in the right atonement plan, the Bible very clearly says that there, we will be cast away forever. And it says that we, it's a phrase that we don't use anymore, but it's, we will gnash our teeth. Kind of like the moment you stubbed your toe. Come on now, can I get an amen, right? You say, oh man, I should not have done that. Oh, it's the gnashing of teeth. And so he so badly wants you to pick the right atonement plan. We, sometimes we feel like, oh, God's just this angry God, doesn't want me to come close. He doesn't want me anywhere near him. I'm just going to smite me. No, no, no. What he is saying, he just so badly wants you to pick the right atonement plan that all throughout the Bible, he's just constantly sending this message to you. He says this in, 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 uh, in 2 Peter 3. He says that God is willing that none should perish. That none should perish. He, this is God's way of saying that self-atoners break his heart. Oh, oh, that you wouldn't wear the weight and bear the weight of your own atonement. You can't pay for the rules that you broke. You can't pay for the disruption in God's plan. You can't pay for it. By yourself you need someone else in another way he describes in revelation chapter 3 he says he says it's like he's standing at the door and knocking he's like man i'm just waiting for you to say okay i trust you god i got you i understand what you're doing i understand your pursuit of me i get it and i love you thank you so much i stand at the door and knock and if you would just let me in i will come in in another way he says in titus 3 that he saved us not because of our righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And so it's a very clear understanding that God so badly wants us to trust in his substitutionary atonement, that he atoned for the things that you did and all the ways that you separated. He says, you can't do that by yourself. And when you die, when you wake up, you will see, and he will ask you one question. Did you trust in my atonement plan? And yet many of us, what we do a lot of the times is we get stuck in this whole idea that our good deeds will actually be able to connect us with the, with the God of the universe. That the creator of all things will actually uh, just look at us better if we do things that are good. That maybe at one point we will, we will reach up to God's glorious standard and he will allow everything to take place. He will allow us into heaven. He will allow us to have good lives. He will allow us to, all this sort of thing. And we have this relationship that says, God, you owe me. If I do good things, you owe me a good life. And it reminds me of this story that I heard one time of a man who said, you know, I, you know what I do? I, I just, I, so, I love the church. So I got my wife and I got my kids set up in a good church and they're doing great, you know, but I'm, too, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy working, doing all sorts of things. I, I just can't, I can't uh, just kind of waste my time on all that stuff. But that's good. They're going there. Everything's great. 
But I know, I, th- I think if I do a bunch of stuff that's good and everything, God's gonna let me in and, every- and everything's really gonna work out well if I just continue on this path. And a pastor actually said to him, okay, well, well what if you were to, uh, let- let's kind of tease that thought out for a second and maybe if you were to think about your, your, your morality in terms of a ladder, if you had to put yourself um, on this ladder, where would you be? And the guy was like, well, you know, I mean, honestly, I do good. I, like, I, you know, when the church needs something, like, I, give a, I give like a good portion of my money to them. And I really, there's a lot of good things. I really, I always like, you know, give an extra dollar at the stop and shop when, I, when I'm doing things. And, and like, I always give to the, you know, there's always these all sorts of things. And certainly God has my, uh, is giving me his attention because of those things. So I mean, maybe like, right, you know, maybe the third, second rung, I'm like, I'm doing pretty well. And so he says, okay, let, so let's, let's start here. Maybe, maybe if God is, maybe if we need to set like a standard, maybe we can start with, the, with, with God. We could, in community covenant here today, we can probably agree with that, right? The, that the perfect standard is God, right? Like that's, that's probably a good idea to start with him this morning, right? And so he says, let's just, you know, for all intents and purposes, and I might end up on YouTube um, for this moment here, um, but it's how it works. Let's just kind of put God right at the top of the ladder, I said, this is our, you know, this is our perfect standard. And so the, the pastor begins to uh, tease this out with the man, and he says, okay, so now let's think about maybe who, what's the most, who's the most perfect person you've ever met, or maybe the perfect person you would ever think about. Who's that perfect person for you? And he said, well, oh gosh, if I have to think about it, maybe, maybe Mother Teresa is, she's doing all right, you know. Like she's got a real, she's a lot of, a lot of more moral things in her bank. And, and if I think about it, she's probably doing pretty well. Do, do you think you're holier than her? No, oh, definitely not. I'm definitely not. Well, if actually, and the pastor said, actually, if you read some of the things that Mother Teresa said, you would notice that she doesn't even think she is close enough to God. In fact, she talks about all the wrong things she does. She talks short to people around her, doesn't pay attention to certain things. She engages with deep, deep, deep anger. In her journal, she writes about this anger that she, that she suffered from. And so honestly, if you were to ask her, she reads about it and writes about it quite a bit. She just doesn't see herself very close sometimes at all. And if she had to really put herself on this ladder, maybe she would probably put herself all the way at the bottom, but for all intents and purposes, we're gonna put her maybe just a little bit lower here. Maybe because certainly she did so much. So, so the, the pastor again asked him, so who, how about someone else? Maybe someone on the state side or someone that you, he's like, well, you know, I guess you, we do hear a whole lot about Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, you know, he, he really, I mean, he really has done so much good for our nation. He's done so many great things. I mean, preached to 2.2 billion people and over the course of his, you know, 60 years in ministry. I mean, that's so incredible, so good. And the, the pastor's like, well, you know, but if you, it, honestly, we've talked to Billy before and Billy's, Billy doesn't see himself like that at all. On this ladder, he has a hard time getting up it at all. And he says, you know what? At one time, he, he just was struggling so bad that he needed someone, he just needed people to read him the Bible to minister to him. He said, no, you know what, he just, he just wouldn't see himself there. And so if we really had to uh, guess uh, anywhere, he definitely wouldn't see himself any sport spot above uh, you, know, mother, the, you know, the mother. It would be probably a little bit lower here. 
And honestly, for me this morning, just as pastor and you know, dad and husband and all that sort of thing, when I think about me and I look at this ladder, I think, man, after the month I had, ish. And so if I had to put myself anywhere, man, I just would, I would literally, I'd say, I'm just starting out. I am. I'm just starting out. Because here's, here's the reality. The, the, the Bible explains this feeling right here. When you look, can you kind of like lay it all out? Explains it very simply like this. It says in Isaiah 64 that we're all infected and impure with sin. And when we put our prized robes of righteousness on, we find they are but filthy rags. In light of God's glorious standard, in light of his perfection, his holiness, his sovereignty, his joy, and his love, when we think about ourselves in comparison, we know that we are imperfect and impure. And when we are presented with this gap, the Bible says we have two plans to trust in. It's either our atonement plan or it's God's substitutionary atonement for us on our behalf. Gang, if, if, if the resurrection happened, the victory of God should be changing all things. It, literally, it would have changed everything for them, that there's a new king in town. There's something that happened that no other emperor, no other Caesar, no other president, no other boss, nothing else, nobody else but the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This would have changed everything. And when we're invited, and we're invited to, to trust in this substitutionary atonement plan and lay down our own self-atonement. Self-atonement is just tiring. And it's, it presents for us a view of the world that kind of sits like a dangling carrot. He says, you know, God's just dangling this carrot in front of me. I can't, I can't feel better, and I can't just make everything settled. Even if I talk to people that have you know, millions of dollars in the bank, they still feel like something's missing. Heck, that's what keeps John Mayer writing all of his songs, doesn't it? I, got, I, got, I just connected with two people in the room. I was like, John Mayer. And so whether you have millions of dollars in the bank or, man, you just are struggling right now. Maybe for you in a family situation, you got relationship struggles, you got a health issue, and you feel like, man, if I could just put one foot in front of the other. And the entire Bible is written about a God that doesn't stay up in heaven waiting for you to make your way up there so that you could come up and eventually earn your spot with him. It's about a God that comes down to you and says, hey, I got you. I get it. I get it. And I get it because I went through all of the struggle that you've gone through. I became a human. I understand humanity. I understand humanness. I understand what it's like to live. I understand what it's like to, to really love our children and try to fight for them. I understand what it's like to really just, just try to have meaning in my life. I understand what it's like to try to help other people. I understand what it's like 
And the entire time you're saying, well, I didn't, the only thing I knew was self-atonement. The only, way I, the only thing I knew was to go to the next step and just try harder and do things better and make sure everything else is all set apart and make sure everything's good on my behalf. And I didn't know about this whole substitutionary atonement, that there's another person that I can trust in to, to atone for all the rules that I've broken and all the things and all the ways that I've disrupted God's plan. Like, I didn't know that. And he's saying, that's fine. You didn't know. It's okay but your life can be different if you decide to choose to trust and stop trusting yourself to atone for your own sin, but to trust in the atonement of Christ. And when you break this down, you say, okay, God, you are the most perfect. And yet you decided, you decided to be here with me. You decided to begin to restore the world. You decided to say that this is not good and I'm going to make it better. And, and gang, the only reason why we're talking about this today is because Jesus didn't stay dead. In fact, he defeated death. Where the Bible says, well, okay, certainly, certainly if a man dies, everyone would be like, hey, that kind of, that's life. A lot of people have died before him. A lot of people will die after him. But he defeats death and creates a path for us to a brand new life, a brand new whole understanding of reality, a new way to interpret the data. He invites us into this new way of life. And because it's possible that he did it, the same power now is available to us for us to live in it if we simply would have trust in his atonement plan. Why we celebrate today is because we are not the atoners. That's why we celebrate today. We can't put the world back together. We can't try hard enough to do that. And we celebrate and say, thank God he is. Thank God he's big enough for this. Thank God he's, and he's close enough to see me right now. And so today, we simply are going to be asked the question, whose atonement plan are you trusting in? Your self-atonement or God's substitutionary atonement through Jesus Christ? And you know what? I'm, I'm just cynical enough to say, okay, if this is true, right? If the resurrection is the center, is the center point for the Christian faith, if this is actually took place, is actually a historical event that took place, Show me like, where, where it's changing people. Show me what's happening in others' lives. Show me like, where it's true today. And day in, day out, and it's something I ask, constantly ask God, God, keep me sensitive to this and soft to this so that I can see the fact that you're still working. I never want to take this for granted. Show me where it's still working, and he's still showing me people that he is changing lives that you're changing. Right now, you're in this room and you know someone, whether you're sitting next to them or maybe someone that invited you here or maybe someone, uh, maybe you experienced this in some way, that God changed their life and you watched it. You said, there's something different. There's something going on there. They went from, it seemed like maybe death to life. It seemed like they went from a Friday to a Sunday. It seemed like they moved somewhere and it's still taking place. And so today what we wanted to do is share a story with you like that from a friend named Bill and how he stopped trusting in his own self-atonement plan so that he could trust in God's substitutionary atonement. My name is Bill. This is my story of how God found me. There was a moment in my life that brought me to my knees. Between finances, insecurity, my inability to be a provider, 
just buckled me at my knees and made me feel inadequate. And then with that, a snowball effect came into play and that I would eventually do things that I'd be ashamed of. The thought of not being enough, the thought of not being that provider in my home where I thought it should be, the level, really was overwhelming to me. And it was a true crossroads in my life because I was seeking everything but God. I did everything in my own strength. I tried to cover my own tracks, but each time I fell short. And thank God I got some faithful men in my life that came alongside me. We listened, we prayed, we cried together. We shared stories. I knew I wasn't alone. These men groups grew me immensely. And it really made me think long and hard that Jesus did die for me. He took it all for me. He loved me that much that he did that. He got my attention. He got a hold of my heart. And it, it, this is when a, a verse that I, I hold near and dear to my heart. It was 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confess, forgive, purify. Over and over again, I can read it. It just makes me feel like refreshed. And God definitely called me to be more. He, he had a path laid before me. He had a hope and a future for me. But I was scared and lost. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who, where to turn. I didn't know I could just give it all to him. It's like I was in the dark and I was afraid of the light. And so many times you read in the Bible, bring it the dark into the light and that's where you'll grow. And from that, I was in the death and I got life. I was able to breathe. I was able to start to function again and start to be the man that God called me to be. And with that, the leadership, discipleship within my home really started to prosper. I was doing things I didn't realize I could actually do. I was praying with my kids. I was sitting with them. I was talking with them about things that really mattered. And my wife, Claire, my best friend, through the messy in the mountaintop, she was there. She'd been there. 34 years together. 25 years coming up this July. Uh, July. What my most important thing was I wanted to be an example of Christ in my house and outside my house. Show his love, his grace and mercy and truth. With that, I'd be able to break the chains of what was going on in my family, leaving a legacy, give the kids some direction, and show them what it means to be a Christian, not just talk about it. This is when faith and life merge together for me, and I always talk about with my kids how this merging comes together. It has to be something that's together, not in parallel. I don't think you can have it in parallel because the never two will meet. And at the end of the day, I needed Jesus. And I couldn't do this thing without Jesus, he's my rock and my foundation. And so we see that this very simple verse that, that Bill mentions, is if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to, con to forgive us our sin. In Romans 3, it's a classic verse that we probably know, even if you don't know it. You've heard it before. You've heard elements of this before in other ways. It says this, For everyone has sinned, and we all for, fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement. He paid for us. And people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. 
So the question is, if the resurrection happened, what does it mean? And we still see that it's happening. Not only did Jesus go from death to life, he's taking tons of people. And for the last 2,000 years, we've been celebrating this idea of death to life. Moving from death to life. And so this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to take communion together. But before we do that, I want to ask a very simple question. Whose atonement plan are you trusting in? Are you trusting in your self-atonement? Or are you trusting in God's substitutionary atonement through Jesus? And when you die and see God, and he asks you that question, who will you say you trusted in? For you, if you were here today and you've done that in the past, when was that? Do you remember when you made a conscious decision that my self-atonement plan is not working and will not work? But I just want to lead you through four simple statements, four simple questions that you should ask yourself or maybe think through today or maybe be able to say yes to. And I, I would pray that you would be able to say yes to these questions. And the first question is this. Number one is I freely acknowledge that I have not lived up to the perfect moral standards of a holy God. Okay, come on, we can, we can say that this morning, can't we? Like, we can say that. There's no shame in that because I think if you, if you look around all of the world, the one thing that connects us, that connects humans, is this whole idea that we all have a, a junk car in our backyard, don't we? We all got a backpack full of stuff that we're ashamed about, that we don't really want to talk to, and we try really hard to cover up. I think we can all say yes to this question, no matter where we are. But it's kind of where we go from there. And the second statement is this. Number two is, I understand that my wrongdoings must be atoned for to satisfy the demands of God's justice. This separation, this brokenness, this, this, this uh, disconnect from God had to be dealt with in order, to be, in order for, for God's justice to be met. And so we have a decision. We can either meet God's justice through our own payment, or we can do it through Jesus. And so number three is a statement that's so clear. I willingly abandon the pursuit of self-atoning for my sin. I willingly abandon. It's just not working. It, trusting and resting is really where we find joy and life and hope. But gang, if we don't do number four, we're still on the outside looking in. We haven't done this if we don't do number four. As I humbly ask that Christ's atoning work be applied to all of my wrongdoings. Gang, listen, if we can say this, all, our whole life changes. Our whole life changes. I could walk you around today to 14, 15 different people that says, my life changed the moment I decided that I was no longer the atoner of my sin. I'll tell you about people that travel to foreign countries and say, this, this is not right. We need to do something about this. Propelled by the love of God. I can tell you about people that go into prisons and they talk to people all over the place that are just broken and say, I have understood the love of God in my life. 
And I want to tell others about it. And I want to share it and demonstrate it. I'll show you other people. Uh, you walk around and show you other people that decided that they wanted to start uh, little, little things for, for veterans. To say, no, 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 it's, I, I want to share God's love through this program so that, so that veterans can know that they're not alone. Because when you are shown so freely the love of God, it flows through you into other people. It doesn't stop here. It goes through you into other ways. And it starts with this statement. I humbly ask that God's atonement be applied to all of my wrongdoings. And if you can answer yes to all four of those questions, you trust in God's self-atonement plan. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to this. And so if you could bow your, your, uh, your heads and close your eyes alongside with me.